Hi, everybody. My name is Mike Manning. And I'm Trinity French. And we are your business coaches at Wired to Change. We help you get your business off the ground and running smoothly so you can enjoy the life of a small business owner. All right, Trinity, we're kind of talking about uh, when to do things, when to spend, when not spend, stay out of feast and famine. We got another wonderful listener question from Jonathan Bradley. Jonathan, we adore you. When business is becoming overwhelming, do you hire employees, subcontract, or turn the business away, and how do you measure when it's time for a change? That is such a good question. It really is, because there's all kinds, especially as a solopreneur, you've got all kinds of things going on. So we talked about in previous episodes, are you tracking your numbers? Do you have time to do that? Do you know where they're coming from? So we're kind of going to start out talking about why it's okay to turn away business. A lot of small business owners are terrified of the concept of turning away business. I'd like to, you know, put a little asterisk and say that we're not saying turn away good business. We're saying turn away bad business. And how do you really dig in there and figure out if it's good business or bad business? couple things to look at. If the, again, unless this would more apply in the feast, in the famine mode, excuse me. If a process, if a client needs some skills or experience that you don't have, don't fake it be the hero and refer it to somebody, but don't take it just because the last month and a half has been awful. Well, I had an interesting conversation today with a commercial realtor at our BNI group. That's Business Networking International. He came and visited our group today and he was talking to me about one of the things that he'll do for his residential real estate referral partners because I do residential real estate. I help people who are looking to buy or sell homes or people who are interested in residential real estate as an investment, whether they're flipping, whether it's long-term holdings, whether it's their primary residence, their first house, their third house. It could be a beach house. It could be a cabin. But as long as it's something that someone is going to live in, um, I really handle properties up to, you know, like a quadruplex. He steps in and does commercial real estate where he's helping people who are looking to buy, sell, lease, or um, rent commercial business. So something where you're going to have some sort of business going on and it's not going to be somewhere where somebody resides. And it is a very, very different type of business. And I make it a habit to refer out all of the commercial real estate because that could become a time suck for me and I could just get sucked down this rabbit hole into an abyss of trying to learn everything that I could know about commercial real estate for one big deal that then never comes to fruition. And now my residential side of the business is tanking because I spent way too much time on the commercial side. He said that as a service to some of his clients, he offers them this 50, 50 commission split and he gives them access to all the databases they need so they can do their own research and they can retain the client. And I just looked at him and I said, that's cool for someone, but that's not in my wheelhouse. I do not want to get distracted in trying to learn commercial real estate. If I was going to become a commercial real estate agent, I would become a commercial real estate agent. And he was like, wow, you're one of the few agents that actually thought of it from a business perspective and not from a 
well, I can keep more of the commission, do more of the work myself, which they're thinking sounds like a lot of fun, but I've referred out enough commercial business to know that the commercial side, the closing ratio is a lot. It's not that it's necessarily that the closing ratio is less. It's that the sales cycle is super long. So I could go long enough. That one's just a lot. It's a lot longer. So we had a really good down to earth conversation about, well, what are the pros and cons of this? basically someone getting out of their wheelhouse. And that for me would be taking on a bad client, something that's going to distract me. And now I have to become an expert in a completely different field that I have no desire. And that's really not going to help my business plan long-term. While those two products may sound similar, I'm selling a property, completely different skill set, language. Yeah. Good decision not to do that. That would take you, that would take you out of your, like I said, out of your wheelhouse. Yeah. And I love helping people with investment properties, but I've learned to partner with people who are really great at helping my clients that want to invest in commercial real estate. Because eventually I want to invest in some commercial real estate, but that's something that even then I'll still refer it out. It's not a deal that I would put together or structure myself. You don't want to do that yourself. Next one is, if the situation is a timing issue, the no can turn into a yes, but not at this time. If you are in the peak season and you cannot possibly fit in somebody else, don't do it because you're going to have to short something you're already doing. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to say no. They called you for a reason this time. If you explain to them why you can't do it, or maybe you move it back three weeks or a month, could they say, yeah, that'll work for me, then you can keep that. But if you normally have eight clients in a day and that maxes your day out, but a ninth one calls just to get that money, it's not gonna, most times it's not going to make sense to take that on. What happens if your initial meeting with the prospect gives you a gut feeling of run run (laughs) you fired a client probably two months ago maybe a little longer than that but yes I fired a client and it felt amazing they fought me from the get-go on everything that when I'm helping someone list a home I try really hard to help them understand that I'm giving them the absolute best advice that I have to get their home prepared for market Unfortunately, not every client understands that the reason I'm telling them this is for their own good and they think that they know better. If a client feels like they know better than I do, then usually we're going to be at odds because I've been doing this long enough and the results are there because my clients take my advice. So this particular client absolutely refused to do a few really easy things that they should have done. And at the end of the day, I just had to cut bait and, you know, you can't make a business decision going forward based on sunk cost. So I just said, you know what, that's part of doing business. I ate the money that I'd already spent on that transaction, washed my hands of it. And it was the best (laughs) feeling I'd ever had because they were not a client that was doing anything to give me any positive energy. They were... They were, I wrote down right here, energy vampires. They yes. were energy vampires. When my brother and I had our commercial cleaning business, we had a couple of these, not many. 
we would go to somebody with a price and we would price it for us. It's a non-negotiable price because we try to be fair to everybody, but we want to make our money. And they would come back to us and say, we know, let's say it's a $300. I think one of them was three and a quarter. And they said, we really like what you do, but we only have 265 to pay. So then we had to make a decision. Do we make $60 less a month for doing the same amount of work? So instead of our margin of 20% is now 8% mm-hmm. or whatever the numbers were. Or do we take the account just to have the account? And we passed on them for that same reason. It just wasn't worth it. Perhaps the the project is not a good fit for your company's image, vision, or mission. And we got a great example today. Our friend Kate Anders, financial advisor with Principal, was a ten minute speaker at our BNI meeting today. At the end of the at the end of her talk, she was letting us know who people she things she doesn't do, which is good to know. She helps people save money, plan, invest. She doesn't help people that are trying to get out of debt. Or fix their credit. And that was wonderful for us to know. That, and it really resonated with me because a lot of times with us being in coaching, people will be like, oh, I know this person who, you know, really needs your help because they've got this issue and this issue and this going on. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That person needs a therapist. They do not need a business coach. They need a therapist. We want people who've got things going on that are looking to grow, that are already either close to thriving or thriving. And same thing. You have to let people know who your ideal client is and also who your ideal client is not. And she did a great job today expressing exactly who it is that would work well with her. She gave stories and examples of those. And I was like, man, I really have a very clear picture of the type of person she enjoys working with. And then it also at the very end when she said, these are the three types of people I don't work with. And I was like, boom, now I know. And we won't waste her time or our client's time or have anyone get frustrated because you refer someone to her. That's not a good fit. But if you're a seasoned business owner, you refer that person to somebody that does that. So when they get out of debt, they'll come back to you with your money, with their money. Thank you for sending them to the person who got them out of debt. And it's a win-win, but sometimes it's just not going to fit. And again, Kate would have to spend numerous hours helping somebody get out of debt. Two, three, four, five years said, no, just go get settled and then come back. And I've got great things I can help you with. When a prospective client cannot explain clearly what their business is about, and there's a lot of gray areas, Mm. how do you meet those expectations if they don't know what they want? Mm -hmm. Well, I think with coaching, we, we kind of had this recently with a client that worked with us for a while, and we had a really... Um, what I would consider straight up coaching conversation with our our last session. And she's actually no longer going to be coaching with us. She's going to a group session because I asked her, like, how can we help you? And are you willing to do these things? And she straight up said, no, I don't want to open up that part of me to a coach. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. And I left that meeting going, "Mm, she's probably not going to be a client of ours for very much longer. Mm -hmm. Like the writing was on the wall because what our need is or what the niche that we fill was not what she was looking for. She thought it was, but it wasn't. 
And one of the things that we do when we're working with clients is that first three months, it's like dating. And you really have to make sure that they understand, and in our case, it's our coaching clients, that they understand what our niche is and what we provide and what we don't provide. For me, I love helping people get to that next level. I like when they're ready to like dig into their dirt and really figure out, okay, let's peel back these layers and figure out what's stopping you. What are the actions that you're going to take to overcome things? And you need to come raw and vulnerable and ready to coach and dig in and get ready to go. And if you're not going to be doing that, none of us are going to be enjoying the coaching session because that's how it's geared up to happen. And it's difficult to meet expectations in situations like that or if the client or prospective client doesn't know exactly what they want or no, or are not asking you exactly what they want, what they right. need. And in that case, it worked out great because she thought that she knew what she needed as a client, but really she wasn't quite sure. And in the past, when she'd had other coaches, they'd locked her into these really long contracts and mm-hmm. she felt like she was then paying money for stuff that she wasn't getting anything out of. And it turns out, hey, you just really need a different type of coaching. Yeah. And the situation worked out perfectly for on our behalf and mm-hmm. her behalf. And we parted as friends. We'll still be friends. I think we'll see her next week at a networking event. So all, all is all, well on that, yeah. but it just doesn't, it doesn't fit. When a prospective client indicates they don't have the sufficient budget, how many people have asked you to cut your commission? Oh, almost everybody. <laughs> <laughs> now I don't do it, but they ask. And then I always tell them that I'm appreciative of them asking because I negotiate everything that I go into. I love negotiating. And the whole world is a negotiation. You don't get what you don't ask for. It doesn't mean that you're always going to get it, but that's my general rule of thumb. I had a client. You were actually, I think you were with me when I fielded the phone call. I got referred to a woman who needed to sell a condo in a neighborhood that I had already Mm -hmm. just sold a house recently. And she called me. And her and her future ex-husband were currently trying to list it for sale by owner. They weren't getting any traction. And I asked her right off the bat, is your, your husband's trying to ex future ex-husband's trying to do this for sale by owner. I just want you to know before we go forward, cause she was already asking me to come out to her house and to look at her place and do a full listing console. And I said, my listing commission is, is 6%. Is there going to be any way that he's going to ever justify or see the value in that? And she was like, probably not. I was like, I just want to be upfront about that and not waste your time or my time or his time and get you frustrated because even though she saw the value and she's like, I, but I want this. I've heard that you're you're the best and this is going to, and I said, but that's an uphill battle that you need to fight. I'm not going to sit here and try to convince him of something because it's just not worth my time. I've been down that road before. For whatever reason, I was able to sway him. There's 10 other things and clients I could have gone out and got during that time that it would have taken me to try to play the convincer. Or you could send them, there are some flat fee yeah. listers. Yeah, send and there's, there's lots of places that will do it for next to nothing. And eventually, once they don't, because I know this market really well and what's going to wind up happening is they're going to go list it with a flat fee broker mm-hmm. the pictures are going to look like crap it's and they're going <coughs> to come back to me yes because that's usually what happens yeah. and then they'll be willing to pay their full commission is that still on the market have you looked um i haven't looked to see if it's on the market okay. yet or not it, again 
why would you, and you may be one of those people that asks everybody else to cut their commission. Hey, I want to buy this, but you know, 500 really, how about, you know, 410? It's like a, one of the bazaars in some where you're, you know, these street vendors where everybody's negotiating. <laughs> like when I was in Turkey and I Love loved those. it. Oh, oh it was so, so fun. Oh, that's a blast. But uh, if you don't want to be the one <laughs> cutting your business, make sure you don't do business with people. Who <laughs> I was do in that. a market in Turkey and I had taught myself just enough Turkish to be able to count to about 100. Okay. Uh, but it was not the best. And I was in this market and my Turkish was failing me. So I did what every idiot American does and tried to then negotiate in Spanish. Cause I was like, well, if they don't understand my Turkish, <laughs> of course they'll understand my Spanish to which he was not understanding. And then I finally went to French and I was like, if he doesn't understand my, he spoke no French, no English. No, I don't know why in my mind it made sense to just keep <laughs> trying every language, but eventually we were able to make a deal and I got the deal I wanted. <laughs> We have a, a friend of ours who's in the mortgage lending world. And I was talking to her about this episode. We reached out to a couple friends for some horror stories. She had a client that needed a bank statement loan, which is basically for self-employed people. Mm -hmm. Correct? Yep. This is somebody that had done three loans with her previously. Knew them well. She knew when they called, said they needed to do a bank statement loan. It was not going to go well. It didn't go well. The process was crap. The client was pissed at the end, and it ruined a friendship. Looking back on that, our friend said, I've not done one of those since, and when I get asked to do those, I just tell them no. Yep. Don't do it. She said, I'd rather be have less money than less friends. And that is something to be said for knowing what your wheelhouse is and what it's not. Mm -hmm. If I tried to take on a commercial deal, I'm going to make somebody's life miserable yeah. because I don't know the commercial side of real estate. I know the theoretical side of it, but when it comes to the paperwork and the searches and everything else, that's why I have strong referral partners to work with me on those transactions. When you're, if you took that on and you and the client were on the 12th floor of whatever building looking at the suite that they were going to rent or buy, and they had a question that you don't know the answer to, who are you going to call? I'm going to have to go back to the, to a commercial agent anyway. <laughs> so what's the point? And that's not something I'm going to do frequently enough to make it worth anyone's time. And oh, by the way, the rest of my clients are probably would be suffering because they haven't heard from me all day because I'm too busy trying to learn something that I just really had no business putting my nose in the first place. You can't be everything to everyone. You can't? No. Even, I know uh -huh, there's some people I, that try, but you can't. And it's okay if you can't help somebody. That doesn't mean you're bad, you're rude. It just means it's not, either it's not what I do or it's not the right time. Yep. It's like dating the wrong person and you know it. When you hire that client, the day after you go, I never should have done that. And you have two friends told you you should have done that. It's like yep. dating the wrong person. Your And we are talking about this yesterday. Having your ideal client helps you sharpen your blade. So every $500,000 house you get to list or find a buyer for, you get better in that world. Mm -hmm. You just do. And it's a little different from the $125,000 houses. Chasing money 
is not a business strategy. <laughs> you do it not have to take... It can be a temporary take, Band-Aid, but is not a good long-term business strategy. We, again, going back to the commercial cleaning world, we bid on a couple of jobs that the margins just weren't there. One of them was, again, you can get, hook, you can get hung up on your monthly billing and tell people, oh, we're billing $20,000 a month in Pick to Business, but your margins are so tiny you're making... 2000 yeah. or 1000 and we passed on a couple of accounts one of them was an 8 one was 650 one was 8 and a quarter but the margins were so small that if you guess wrong on the time it takes to clean you're now losing money oh yeah even 15 minutes if you're there every day 15 minutes a day that's an hour and 15 minutes a week that's 5 hours a month oh you could it doesn't yeah, make sense it yeah. does not you spend too much money, for those of you that have managed people before, you spend too much time managing one bad employee. We've all seen that employee who's a pain in the ass to manage for the boss because they either argue all the time about what the boss tells them to do or they can't do it. And everybody else is doing their job. They may need, may, may need some assistance, but the boss is stuck over there in the corner with little Billy because mm -hmm. Billy doesn't know what he's doing. I feel like we spend 25 to 30% of our time working with our clients, helping them to determine how to say no and fire a bad employee. Yes. Because this comes up a lot and we'll start talking about processes and systems and we quickly will realize that even if they had the right processes and systems in place, the right processes and systems with the wrong person can make you feel like you have the wrong processes and systems. So you need 50-50. You need 50% good processes and systems, and you need 50% good employee. You can put a good employee um, in a bad process and make them miserable. So you have to have that process down. But if you stick a bad employee in a perfect process, you're still not going to get the results that you want. Oh, very much so. Very much so. So here's a couple more tips on what to do when you say no. Be decisive. Tell them real quick up front that that's not for me. It's not the right time. No, I just don't want to do that. Act quick. Keep perspective. You won't be the first person that's turned down a client. It's okay to turn down a client because it doesn't make good business sense. Be polite, be prompt, be to the point when you're saying no. Again, tell them why. Don't overshare information that, oh, I hate what you stand for. You're a pain in the butt. I don't mm -hmm. like this. You're whoever business partner called and said that. Just say, just don't feel I'm the right fit at the right time. Let them know, thank them for the opportunity because they came to you. Thank them for thinking of you, yep. giving you a chance to bid on that or, you know, take the contract. But just be thankful on that. Suggest an alternative. Be a hero. We we're talking about Kate with financial planning and the debt. We refer somebody to them. All of a sudden, everybody's happy. Now the client comes yeah, to you. They'll remember you because you helped them. If you're becoming overwhelmed in your business and there's something that you feel like you are not capable of taking on, helping to refer something out. Um, Brian Barton, who is my magic wonderful carpet cleaner does this all the time he has a rolodex i love saying the term rolodex you because do. there are so many people that are listening to this going what the is a rolodex is that a machine they used to clean carpets <laughs> but he cleans carpets and he has a really good list of other 
carpet cleaners, commercial cleaners, residential cleaners, and they, if they're busy, they keep their reputation pristine by referring each other business all the time. And it's the same caliber and they refer jobs back and forth. They take a little split of it. And that way they don't have to hire additional employees or subcontract anybody. They're just subcontracting it out to another business, which is pure genius in the industry that they're in. And he does such a great job managing that. I think they give each other little cuts, kind of a finder's fee. Yeah. yeah. So instead of subcontracting out um, to like an employee or a tent, they just subcontract it out to each other, to the other business. Yeah. Which I, I think it's just, I'm, I'm with you. I think that's the way to go. Yeah. Again, be a hero, refer someone, always remain professional, don't burn bridges. Remember, business circles run small people. We talk, we know, Trinity knows the mortgage lenders, the home appraisers, uh, home inspectors, the appraisers that do crap jobs, and they know everybody, they know in that industry who does crap jobs, so be smart. Yes. Be smart. That's our recommendation to you today. Let's move on to the subcontracting versus hiring. Jonathan's question was really interesting because when you become overwhelmed in business, it can be because of a couple of different reasons. One, you're doing such a great job that you're getting so many clients that you just don't know where to turn or how to keep up with the demand for your product or service. And in that case, very important to be able to say no to bad business because that's going to create a bottleneck and stop you from getting more business and send you into a famine mode, which we do not want. The other thing is your ability to be able to scale. And he was asking particularly whether you would hire an employee or subcontract something out. It really depends on the business that you're in. If you are in a business that has a pretty stable, non-seasonal type residual income, it might make more sense for you to hire a full-time employee. If you're in a business where, like with our friend Brian Barton, it makes total sense for him to subcontract because he doesn't have the amount of work coming in to justify him having a full-time employee. So he just subcontracts that work out and takes a split from another cleaner that he works with the other point we were talking about on and we've talked about this on previous episodes the uh subcontracting the things you can't do or don't want to do in your business subcontracting is a slippery slope Hmm? there's pros and cons to it i mean you can totally boost your productivity by subcontracting out the things that you're not that great at Um, It allows you to diversify the skills that you have on your crew, the skills you have within your team. Um, For me, you know, there's certain things that I'm really not that great at. So I would subcontract out those things to other people if it was something that I was looking to do. Definitely can give you a huge boost to your efficiency. And I love subcontractors because there's a lot more flexibility. You're not tied into keeping someone busy for yes. 40 hours a week, depending on how you write the contract up. And we did that on the commercial cleaning side. We did not do floors or carpets. So we had a subcontractor. It's not what we, we didn't want to buy the machines. We weren't in a position to do enough of those. We did a couple strip and waxing jobs, found out don't really want to do that. Right. So we subcontracted that out. To buy the machines was going to be 
depending on what we're going to do, you know, 500 to $1,500. And then you got to figure out, okay, how many jobs do we need to do to cover that? And we just didn't want to do that, so we subcontracted that. But sometimes some contracting can be a nightmare. Yes, it can. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the communication breakdowns that can happen when you're dealing with a subcontractor and they don't show up or mm -hmm. they don't provide the quality of service that you're looking for. You might need to have more advanced planning and additional conversations because they're not somebody that came up and that you trained on your own. That can cause some friction. There might be animosity between somebody on your team that's an employee and somebody that you have that's a subcontractor. So that's something to be aware of. Ultimately, when you're working with a subcontractor, just making sure that you have some way to have your quality control in check and in order. One of the things we ran into in the commercial cleaning world there, let's just say there's a national franchise. Let me just say that. <laughs> that I'll wait, would, I can wager a guess in my mind. Who they is. would subcontract cleaning opportunities. And a lot of times there would be different people that would show up. And the clients don't like that. When you're coming into their business, which is their world, mm -hmm. at night. And, well, where's Trinity? We've seen her for the last two weeks. Oh, I, I don't know. I'm Mike. I'm going to be here for the next two weeks. And then two weeks later, Drago shows up and they go, "Who? where's Mike? Who are you? And people don't like that. They don't like change, and they shouldn't like new people coming in. They want regular people coming into their offices or buildings at night, knowing the routine, doing it the right way, but they've seen them, they know them. Also, on the subcontracting, you talked earlier about the control over the quality, is they may do, if you subcontract out painting because you're busy, or let's say Brian subcontracts his carpet cleaning out to somebody they may not clean the way he does. They probably don't use the same machines he does. Until you vet them, you run that risk of just calling, hey, you're my sixth call today, my third cousin's eighth grade friend who lives down the road told me, <laughs> oh, yeah, you need to call them. They have a truck and a vacuum cleaner, and they're not going to clean your carpet. So you run the risk of the, of the quality dropping. But the pluses to subcontracting, they're going to be cheaper. Because you don't have to hire anybody. You don't have to pay benefits. They pay their own insurance. Yep. They pay their own payroll. They cover all that. So that's a break. And you can kind of terminate them tonight. Right. Mm, start with somebody else new tomorrow. Yep. Yes. Now, figuring out whether you need to hire someone full time or hire a subcontractor, that's something where we sit down with our clients and walk them through a worksheet and just make sure that they're making the right decision for how to grow their team. When you're under stress and duress because your business is booming, it's very easy to act a little too suddenly and then regret and make some mistakes. And if you're going to invest in hiring a teammate, you want to make sure that you have that thought process really lined out clearly before you make the move to do it. And when you did the benefits of hiring someone is you get better continuity in the work because mm -hmm. they're there with yeah. you every day or in the environment you want them to be Absolutely. in. Absolutely, They're trained to do specialized jobs. Yep, You're looking for loyalty and long-term relationships. The downsides to hiring versus subcontracting is it adds overhead. You've got to buy your own equipment. You got to pay the taxes, the benefits, insurance, and you have to do you have to pay to train them. Yeah, so and it, you've got payroll, you've got taxes, you have a whole new level now of 
items that you're going to be taking care of when you have a full-time or part-time employee? It just depends on what the, the project is, what the job is, the length of time, how much control you want on it, over it, where it is. So there are, there are pluses and minuses to both. You just kind of have to know what you're looking for and what you need. Mm-hmm. So we love questions like that. Thank you, Jonathan. Jonathan, you are the best. I want to give a huge shout out to Jonathan because we love people with entrepreneurial spirit. And Mr. Jonathan Bradley has the coolest entrepreneurial spirit. And he didn't even know it when he started this. So (laughs) we were talking last night at our Wine and Wisdom networking event. And I was really curious about this YouTube channel that he has because he has had over 60,000 viewers, over 3,300 hours that people have watched his YouTube channel, all because he has a type of car that you're not supposed to take apart. Like they designed this car so you would have to go get your oil changed and everything done at the dealership. So that way they would, I mean, it's kind of smart, right? the auto manufacturers mm-hmm. were looking for ways to have residual income coming in after they sold these cars. He found a way to work on these cars. So he has all these hits on his YouTube channel and he's only 820 people away from being able to monetize it. So we would love for our listeners to go out to YouTube, John J O N Brad B R A D 1985 Go ahead and subscribe to his channel. Let's help him make some money on this YouTube channel. And if you love cars as much as I do and watching, I do not know why (laughs) I love watching people working on stuff. I think it started when I was little. I grew up on this old house. Watching this old house, watching how people work on cars. I love what is the British show where they test drive all the cars across Europe? Scott and I watch it. All yeah. the time. Uh, oh, it's Joey so good. Joey from Friends is on that. Yes, gear. it's uh, not gear. Uh, Top Gear. Top, Top Gear. gear. Oh my gosh, yep. I love Top Gear. Yep. I also love the show um, Making It. It's all about making like stuff at home. You just lost me. Oh, you just lost. I just me. anything like that. So, anyways, he does a really cool um, YouTube channel all about working on cars, and I think you should go watch it. Very nice, and Jonathan, we appreciate the questions. If you have any. Subjects you'd like us to talk about, any questions you have, you can go to info at wiredtochange.com. With the number two. Or hit us up anywhere on social media. We are Wired to Change everywhere. With the number two. And we'll see you next time on our Wired to Change podcast.